everybody, and welcome to another episode of SNESCAPADES, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And I am talking a little bit fast because we have a lot of history to go into today. We sure do. We've got two companies whose video game roots begin in the 70s, kind of. We'll get to it. So, uh, but yeah, but uh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, the weather's getting cooler. We just passed Halloween, which is great. Uh, and we're getting right into the holiday season, I guess. It, it just dawned on me that actually by the time this goes out, it'll probably be around Thanksgiving time. So it probably will. I hope that y'all are tucking into a nice, delicious Thanksgiving meal with people that you care about and that everything is going great for you. We've got four games up here as as, as we typically do, so why don't we just uh, why don't we just get into them? Let's do it. First up we've got more freaking soccer. It seems like we just had another episode where we began with soccer. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I think that's probably because that's exactly what happened last week. In, in fact, a very similar title. Last week, we talked about Super Soccer. Now we are talking about Super Soccer Champ, which I literally had to make sure was not just the same game with a different name. Uh, it, it is not. It is a very different game, actually, but uh, a pretty good one, I think. Uh, I think we've had, honestly, a, a remarkably good run of soccer games at this point, even though it's just two back-to-back that have been good, uh, that's still a way better average than most of the other sports that we've dealt with on this show so far. Yeah, and you know, I feel like, similarly to golf, I feel like the more soccer games we play, the more I'm actually liking these a little bit. Like, I I'm, I'm, was finding myself with Super Soccer Champ playing better. This is the first soccer game I have played in which I actually scored a goal against the computer. So. Oh, very nice. Very good. Yeah. I, I scored a goal against the computer in this as well, which is pretty good for me uh, playing uh, any sports game on the system so far, because uh, I'm not generally great at sports games, I've discovered. Yeah, and, and honestly, probably good for soccer, seeing as how I hear a lot of soccer games just end with no score. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. This is a, kind of a different spin on kind of how to present a soccer game, I guess, than, than what Super Soccer did. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the creation of this game and the people that made it before we get into actually talking about the game itself? This is going to be a really interesting one because this is going to be our first game made by Taito Corporation. That's kind of fitting because the first game that Taito ever made was an arcade game called Soccer. And that was released all the way back in 1973. And for the record, like the first video game ever commercially made was Computer Space in 1971. So we're only like two years removed from the actual genesis of video games. To some extent, the lineage of this goes way, way, way back. And uh, Taito is a pretty prolific company. I mean, they, they've made a bunch of stuff over over this whole span of the existence of video games. Yeah, so their first game, Soccer, was really little more than a Pong clone. Uh, Pong had just come out the year before. Taito's beginnings actually go back to 1953 in Japan when it was uh, founded as an importer of amusement machines. And it was actually founded, somewhat surprisingly, by a Ukrainian businessman named Michael Kogan. Oh, interesting. Taito's first game was soccer. They wouldn't have like a really, really big hit until 1978 with the release of a little game called Space Invaders. 
You might have heard of that. Maybe once <laughs> or twice, yeah. <laughs> so we will actually do a deeper dive into Space Invaders uh, much later in the future because Space Invaders actually got a Super Nintendo port later on. Space Invaders on Nintendo systems around that time is actually a very interesting thing in and of itself. But again, we'll we'll have to save that for uh, maybe a couple years down the road now. But uh, look forward to that in the very distant future. So yeah, so that's Taito. Uh, they are still around today, though, as a subsidiary of Square Enix. But yeah, just a very important company in the history of video games who've been there pretty much since the beginning. This game is a SNES port of a European arcade game released in 1990 called Football Champ, unsurprisingly. The original game was developed and published by Taito. The home port, which has been released in all three regions by British developer Domark, it's uh, called Euro Football Champ in Europe and Hat Trick Hero in Japan, which confused me a little bit because I thought Hat Trick was a hockey thing, but I guess it could be both. Again, we don't really know sports. But anyway, so this game kind of takes a side-on view of the action uh, rather than Super Soccer's sort of slightly overhead, like kind of behind a goal sort of yeah. view. I think this is a good perspective for a soccer game. It's very clean, very easy to see everything. And you do get kind of a wide view of the field, which definitely helps. Uh, there's also a pretty decent map like a mini map in this game that kind of hovers that's sort of in the, the top middle of the screen that shows sort of the layout of like where all of the, the different players are and with a, a little kind of moving square on it showing what part of the field is being shown on screen right now. It's all very helpful in kind of letting you judge what your options are, I think. Yeah, I think the side-on view makes everything really easy to read. Um, I found myself doing a lot more passing and actually hitting my mark more often than not when I did in this game, which was really cool. I do think it's a little bit less exciting and dynamic than the camera in Super Soccer because it sort of moved around a lot more, whereas the camera moves from side to side in this game. Like, it would move from side to side, but also in and out. It felt a little bit more like we were up close in the action in the last game. But I like the mechanics here, perhaps even a little bit more than the last one. And, and I felt like I was doing better at the game than I did in the last one, which, I, again, might just be because... Uh, I've been playing more of these, or it could also be because this game actually has an in-game instruction manual, sort of. Uh, you can go into the options menu and actually see a rundown of all of the actions you have at your disposal and how to do them. Some of those actions include cool slide tackles and things like that, uh, headbutts for when you've got to you know, get the ball in the air, and also punches if you just feel like punching a dude i guess and hoping that the ref didn't see this game definitely does utilize red and yellow cards again just like the last one did so i imagine you probably can't get away with too much punching before that happens come on you shouldn't be punching people in soccer anyway i mean my understanding uh just from like a very brief look at it punching is sort of a general term for any kind of of contact where like a player like sort of shoves into an opponent it is prohibited but it's it's also kind of just understood 
as a, like kind of a, a thing that happens, but that anything that looks like excessive force not allowed is is something that you will get like a red card for. So I guess, you know, you kind of just weigh your options in this. And if you really think it's a good idea, you know, you just need that. Uh, it's there that you can do it. And that's that's kind of neat, honestly. That's, that's cool that that's an option here, given that there's sort of like a risk reward thing for it. That's really nice that there's like a thing that kind of lays out you know what all you can do and like actually specifically tells you what different control options you have i think this game is very easy to pick up and play even without that i was able to do okay in this game just by kind of trying to figure out the controls for myself and if if anything i would say that in this game it feels kind of weirdly easy to get the ball and hold on to it like i definitely had the feeling that if i got the ball i could pretty much keep it away from the other team indefinitely if I just sort of played smartly. That's, you know, definitely contributed to me, you know, doing a little better in this game, I think, than in Super Soccer. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's a it's a very fun game. I think that what we're kind of seeing is that of all the sports that we played so far, I think maybe soccer just naturally translates best into a video game just because of like the level of continuous action and how cleanly you can lay out the field in a video game so that you can really see what's going on. This game doesn't have a whole lot of modes, but uh, it does have... 1v2 player, it's got a 1 and 2 player co-op against the AI, just like the last game did. There are two little PK options from the main menu. I was only able to check out one of them, which seems to just be a straight shootout mode between the player and the computer. The other two required two players, and because I could not find an instruction manual or a fact on this game, I don't entirely know what they were, but part of me is presuming that maybe it was just another kickoff mode, but against a second player, and uh-huh. I, I don't know what else. I guess my main thing that I would say in this game is that I enjoyed playing this, but I did honestly kind of miss the more sort of dynamic of Super Soccer a little. Like, that one kind of, I felt like, got my adrenaline up a little bit more than this did, even though that is honestly maybe a virtue of the fact that this game is a little more visually coherent and easy to play. And it's interesting that we've seen sort of back-to-back two just very different approaches to soccer action in a game. Yeah, yeah. So maybe um, just take it to the list. And I I think there's no better place to start than at number 21, which is Super Soccer. And we can just kind of have that conversation. Which do we think is better? So I definitely think Super Soccer has the presentation down. That dynamic camera really makes you feel like you're part of the action. I didn't really find it. I do think that that nice list of moves, giving you like a move list in the game, is a really cool thing that I really wish more games could have done back then. Yeah, I agree with that. That is genuinely just like a solid mark in this game's favor. Uh, I, I really like that, especially since that does essentially kind of get around the assumption that most of these sports games have that you're coming into this with so much familiarity with the sport that you don't really even need, you know, an an explanation of what all you could potentially do in the game. Yeah, I honestly think that that little quality of life improvement puts this above super soccer for me. Um, What do you think? So I, I do think that I enjoyed the act of playing super soccer more than this, but not that much more. I wonder, honestly, how I would feel about both of these games if I played them for, you know, 
an extended period of time each. My guess may actually it is maybe that I would end up liking Super Soccer Champ more than Super Soccer, just because of the fact that I, I do think that it is in some ways just a more comfortable game to actually play, even if like kind of the 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 moment to moment experience isn't quite as visceral. Also, I do like the production design in this game. A lot of the little kind of flourishes it has with having like the little kind of cutaway shot to all the players celebrating oh, yeah, when yeah. you get a goal is good. I like the fact that they do have like the sampled voice clips of like the the very famous announcer going goal whenever you score in this. Did Super Soccer do that too or just Super Soccer Champ? Um, I don't think that Super Soccer did that. So, that's something that Super Soccer Champ definitely has going on that is is really good. So I'm with you. I think I I think I could put this above Super Soccer. Do you think it goes any higher than that? Because we've got Super R Type at number twenty right above that. I think that it definitely stays in the same general ballpark as Super Soccer, but uh, you know it could go a little higher. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't put it above something like Gradius Three at number eighteen, for example. But I could maybe see it going above Super R Type though. But I I don't know. What 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 do you think at this point? Super R Type kind of has faded a little bit from my memory, partially because we played it a while ago and partially because we've played a lot of shooters at this point. And, you know, I would say probably Super Soccer Champ is doing a little more to distinguish itself than Super R-Type was. I feel like we're getting more excited the more soccer games we play while we are, at least for me, um, and we'll talk about this more in just a bit, um, I am getting so burnt out on scrolling shooters at this point that honestly, I just... There's a part of me that feels like if I never play another one again, I will be fine with it. <laughs> Whereas like with the soccer games, I'm I'm interested in getting more into them and kind of figuring out, you know, like which ones I like more. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm probably putting the cart before the horse here. So right now we're just talking about Super R-Type. So that's the one that has the, the pod, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering it a little bit more now. That one is pretty good. It does have, you know, some, some pretty cool things that you can do. It, it, it gives you more attack options because of the pod so yeah i i think if if you don't if you don't think this belongs above super r type i think i'm cool with that where, where do you think this sits uh, yeah i would say probably between super r type and super soccer i think just below super r type is where i'd put it frankly so yeah i would say let's give this one the spot as our new number 21 super soccer gets goes down to 22 got a nice little set of soccer games there yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Okay, well, yeah, let's move on to our new, or our, our next game then. And that next game is Thunder Spirits. And uh, this game might have one of the strangest lineages that we've come across so far. We have covered a lot of arcade ports on this show, but this might be the first port of an arcade game that was itself an adaptation of a Sega Genesis game. So we're we're like three games removed or two games removed from the original thing it's based on at this point. Yeah. So yeah, so this game started life as Thunder Force 3 on the Sega Genesis in 1990, developed by Technosoft. Uh, the game got a modified port in arcades called Thunder Force AC, and that game was published on, uh, or th- that game was ported to the SNES by uh, Seika Corp. Not Sega, but Seika. 
which handled the distribution of a lot of Chemco games in North America, uh, like Draken, which was distributed by Seika despite having um, or despite listing Chemco as its publisher. So, isn't that company just called Chemco Seika now? Um, I think sometimes like you'll see Chemco Seika listed like i know i've seen that on like moby games and stuff like that when doing research i don't know if they're actually the same company now but i know that chemco or they just have like a very close relationship yeah 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 i, th- I think maybe like seika just did the distribution in north america for chemco but i okay th- to be honest it, w- it was a little bit hard to tell um seika itself doesn't seem to have stuck around all that long so it was hard finding like really good information about the relationship between those two companies. But uh, as for uh, Technosoft, though, they made games throughout the 80s and 90s until being acquired by 21 Company, who primarily make pachinko machines. Okay, yeah. Uh, but they've got much more uh, much more games under their belt than, uh, than Seika does. Thunder Spirits got another horizontally scrolling shooter where you play as the pilot of a spacecraft shooting things on various planets throughout the galaxy. The regions you find yourself in are pretty diverse. The game opens in an interesting looking forest level and moves on to a lava level, but I can't tell you what happens after that because I couldn't get any further than that. The power-up system in this game is slightly different from from some of the things we've seen before. Uh, You do have the ability to acquire multiple different kinds of weapon and then switch between them freely. And those weapons themselves can be upgraded by getting more pickups of the same type of weapon. And yeah, that's, that's something that's, you know, a little bit unique to, to this game and probably to this, this series of games. I don't know that there's a ton else to say about this game that makes it terribly different from a lot of the other scrolling shooters we've played. Other than the fact that I don't, think this one is put together as well as a lot of them. And I think that partially that is probably down to this being a port of uh, an arcade game that was originally designed for the Genesis, which had very different capabilities than the Super Nintendo does. But I, I just don't think this one, like, plays that well, and I don't think that as an overall package, it's put together terribly well. I would say there's not a ton of personality to this game, which is sort of disappointing. I don't think the music is that distinctive. I don't think the enemy designs or the level designs are that creative or distinctive. There's no real, like, story or, like, even any kind of, like, an interstitial thing between the different levels. It's just sort of, here's a level, here's a level, here's a level, uh, with no real sense of, like, how they're they're connected or anything. I don't... I guess I'm jumping right into t- saying what I think about the game instead of talking about, like, what the game is. No, that's fine. But I don't really know that there's that much to talk about with what the game is. Like, I think this is a pretty mediocre example of the, of its genre on the Super Nintendo. All right, I, I don't think it has any of those really cool hooks. Like you said, the power-up system is fairly straightforward and uninteresting. Environments are pretty unique looking for a game like this, but that also kind of has its own downside with it. Like, for example, the second level in which the background is like sort of this... It's this waving, pulsing fire background, basically. Yeah, and it really gets in the way of things at times. Because this is a fire level, you're also dealing with enemies that look like fire or shoot things that look like fire at you, which just get lost in the background. So even like the impressive visuals that you see at times 
are sort of a double-edged sword. It has visuals that I think... Uh, I kept thinking they should be more impressive than they are. Like, I think everything in this game is just a little bit too dingy. The frame rate's not great. Uh, you know, there's, there's some kind of weird sort of slight jankiness, like the fact that it takes a surprisingly long time for your ship to actually appear on screen when you die and uh, and and get a new life. Things that just don't feel like they're kind of working quite right in this one. One of the things that that I have come to, to sort of feel about this genre of game on the Super Nintendo is that little things about kind of how well it runs and like exactly how it's put together can have a surprisingly big impact on how fun I find the game and how willing I am to kind of engage with its difficulty level. Because, I mean, I think that for some things like, uh, you know, what what is our what is our highest ranked uh, scrolling shooter on the system right now? Definitely with something like Darius Twin. That game, the fact that it is so well put together and runs so well on the Super Nintendo makes me want to kind of dive in and kind of grapple with the really high difficulty level that this genre of game just tends to have in a way that that this one doesn't. This one kind of turns me off from even wanting to like engage with it enough to like see more of it. I, I completely agree. There, there's also, you know, just a lot of cheap mechanics that we've criticized other games in this genre for, like the fact that enemies appear and are firing on you way too fast for you to reasonably react to them the first time that happens. Uh-huh. During the second level, like the game just speeds up suddenly and you're just kind of hurtling through the level and desperately trying to not run into anything and i i didn't find that very fun uh in this case especially because i don't really trust the controls quite enough to make me feel like i can deal with that Now, honestly, like, the fact that this is a pretty beloved shooter, at least on the Sega Genesis, really made me question, like, do I just dislike this as a genre? Like, I, I don't think you do. We've played a lot of these games, and you've been on record as enjoying some of them, at least. Yeah, so, yeah. So. I, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I do think that this is a pretty bad port of a game that is probably better. Like, I haven't played Thunder Force 3 on the Genesis, but I, I think even back in the day, it was sort of recognized that this is not a great version of this game. I, I, it is also possible, to be fair, that we've played a lot of these games in a pretty short span of time. Like, the fact that this one isn't very distinctive does breed, like, a, a particular level of sort of tiredness with it we have played so many of these that i'm just kind of like do something interesting or i just cannot be bothered to even give you the time of day right now i mean given that this isn't necessarily a genre of game that you are particularly drawn to in the first place it's not like this just being one of these is going to do enough for you yeah well um do we want to start talking about where this might go on the list yeah let's do that um so i think obviously right away the thing that i'm drawn to is earth defense force at number 59 i feel exactly the same way our lowest ranked shooter and really um one of our lowest ranked games overall i probably actually think this is a worse game than earth defense force really well i think at least earth defense Defense Force runs better and has nicer visuals than this. Mm. I, I at least thought Earth Defense Force had a pretty a pretty attractive look to it, even if it also wasn't that distinctive. I, I understand what you're saying about the visuals and, and why you didn't like them. I understand. I feel like the visuals are maybe unattractive in a 
more like artistically conscious sort of way. Like the sort of organicness of the forest level was was a purposeful thing that's maybe supposed to look a little bit uneasy. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, I think it's a very ambitious visual style. No, that that is true actually because Earth Defense Force is not an ambitious game. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm. I'm coming around on the idea that this is better than Earth Defense Force. So, okay, above Earth Defense Force on the list, we do have Ultraman, which is bad. Do you think this is this is a better or worse game than Ultraman? I think this is better than Ultraman, because at least it's it's more fun to play than Ultraman is. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like, it is still a functional shooter. Yeah, and Ultraman's not really a functional fighting game. No, no, it's not. And I also think I would put it above Bill Lane Beer's Combat Basketball. I think Space Football 1-on-1 is the absolute ceiling, because while I I don't appreciate Space Football 1-on-1 and what it did, I at least respect it. Like, visually, I respect it, and I I think, like, okay, you had an idea, but you maybe got ahead of yourself. I was trying something, you know. In that case, I would say I would be pretty comfortable putting this between Space Football 1-on-1 and WWF Super WrestleMania. Yeah. Because I do think that Super WrestleMania just doesn't have much of anything going on. Like, it's not bad, bad in a lot of ways. Like, it's not so bad that it makes me angry to play it, but it's wallpaper paste, you know? Yeah, I think I'm cool with that. So that makes this our new number 56. Is that right? Yes, that is right. All right. Congratulations, Thunder Spirits. You're kind of in the middle of the pack of bad games, I guess. It's Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're uh you're no super ghouls and ghosts though. So uh don't get too cocky down there. Don't be getting errors there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got that one out of the way because I think that was that was by far the the one I was the least looking forward to trying to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Um but uh I'm going to actually shut up for just a bit cuz uh Newsy's going to do a little bit of talking for us cuz we're going into a new month. So uh take it away Newsy. July 1992. Sir mix tells us honestly about his fondness for large derrieres and tops the charts for five weeks with Baby Got Back. Death Becomes Her, starring Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, and Goldie Hawn opens and goes on to gross over $149 million. And the Slovak Parliament declares independence of Slovakia, which would end in the dissolution of Czechoslovakia the following January in what some will call the Velvet Divorce. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. All right, thank you, Newsy. So, Death Becomes Her. Not not really a movie I remember all that much. It was probably my first experience when I was a kid, like some like, like a real like black comedy. I guess that movie is is interesting because it used some pretty impressive special effects for the day. This is a movie that basically in, involves two women becoming immortal by drinking a potion and then doing horrendous physical damage to each other it's more complicated than that but that is that is a major element of this movie it's kind of a thing about like beauty culture and people taking things to an extreme in order to maintain their youth and beauty it's a fun and also nasty movie all right i'll say that yeah great that ought to be on the back of the box we also got uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot there, Baby Got Back. Fantastic one-hit wonder right there. Uh, Seattle's uh, own Sir Mix-a-Lot. 
uh, still still pretty active in Seattle. I think he has a radio show here. I've ha- heard a few other Sir Mix-a-Lot songs at this point, including ones that just reference like very specific Seattle locations, like the Taco Bell on Broadway. It's like, oh yeah, I know that Taco Bell. It was pretty good. I'm, I'm really sad it shut down. Can a Taco Bell be pretty good as compared to other Taco Bells? It was more about the location, really. Oh, okay. It was very convenient that it was where it was. And the, uh, the, the Velvet Divorce... Uh, so-called because it was actually a a kind of a remarkably civil dissolution of a country. (laughs) Yeah, this was kind of the beginning of the split between uh, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. I didn't even know this was going on back in 92, because like the elementary schools were not in a hurry to uh, update our textbooks and globes just because some little old country like Czechoslovakia was dissolving. So I don't think I knew about this until years later when I finally got access to like some updated textbooks that actually showed them as different countries. And I remember the first thing I thought being like, oh, Rockapella is going to have to change the words in their song now for the, the Carmen Sandiego theme. <laughs> and you know what? They did. It, it, luckily, it wasn't too hard. Speaking of... Um, violence and things like that as we were talking about uh, death becomes her let's talk about uh, a really violent game here. yeah let's talk about a game of murder that's right the game of clue or cluedo if you prefer I still don't understand why that's what they call it. Well, I mean, they actually invented it, so they get to call it whatever they want. Yeah, I still don't get why they called it that. Yeah, uh, this is Clue. It's Clue from Parker Brothers. So, yeah, so Parker Brothers has been around since, you guessed it, the 80s. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, the 1880s. They were started by uh, George S. and Charles Parker. Many of you probably know they are most known for releasing board games. Uh, one of their earliest hits was Monopoly, which has a very interesting and kind of sketchy history. It that sure does. <laughs> deserves its own episode. And you know what? Seeing as how I do think there is a version of Monopoly for the Super Nintendo, it will probably get that. Um, but Parker Brothers is a company. They merged with the toy company Kenner in 1985. Uh, the rebranded Kenner Parker Toys was acquired by Tonka in 1987. And Tonka was acquired by Hasbro in 1991. And while some of the brands involved did not survive all those acquisitions, like we don't really hear from Kenner anymore, but Parker Brothers is still around as a subsidiary of Hasbro today. It's still a thing you see on board games. This is also another company that kind of has roots in the video game industry in the 1970s. Uh, According to Moby Games, Parker Brothers' first forays into video games were with a pair of standalone electronic games in the 1970s. The first one was called Codename Sector, which seems to have played similar to Battleship, except that it was played with up to four players co-op against the computer, um, where basically all the players are trying to track down the location of an enemy submarine, and the other was called Merlin, the Electronic Wizard, which was a handheld device that could play various simple games like tic-tac-toe and a version of Blackjack with the use of 11 buttons with LEDs. Yeah, so these are impressive examples of early electronic games, but I think calling them video games would be kind of inaccurate. The first true entrance of Parker Brothers into the video game market was in 1982, where they published a port of Konami's arcade hit Frogger for the Atari 2600. Let's go a little bit into the history of Clue. Yeah, sure. Clue, 
before, you know, like we said, Cluedo was created in the UK in 1943 by Anthony E. Pratt. Uh, the object of the game is to figure out where, with what, and by whom Dr. Black, or Mr. Body as we call him in the North America, was murdered. Uh, the franchise has been very popular. It's launched a lot of other game variants and such, and even had a a, a movie attached to it. A great movie. I, I love that movie. A very good movie. So, so you know what? So, so here's the thing. I've had a lot of interaction with the Clue brand all throughout my life, actually. I, I remember watching the movie like in high school-ish, I think. There was a book series by Scholastic, I think, that uh, came out around the time I was in elementary school. And I actually read a lot of those. They were sort of game books in which each chapter of the book was sort of a little mini mystery where that you would have to solve, you know, using deduction, much like Clue worked. And then the so, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I think this is very funny. So the last chapter in every book was about who killed Mr. Body. And then in the next book, Mr. Body would open with like a little intro stating how he actually managed to escape death the last time and why, for some <laughs> reason, he doesn't seem to be aware that everybody in his house is trying to kill him. That is very funny. <laughs> that's good. I did not know these existed, and that sounds very that sounds very cute. But anyway, so all this is to say, I've interacted with Clue a lot, and yet when I was doing research for this, I realized I've never played the board game Clue and did not know how it actually oh, played. Oh, interesting. So I had to look all that up. That's interesting. Yeah, I had played the board game, but uh, not for a very long time. Like, probably not since I was, like, you know, a younger teenager. So I didn't remember it well enough to realize that this video game actually plays a little differently than the board game Clue until you told me that, so... It plays somewhat similarly. Players still pick a character to play as. Uh, you still roll dice to move around the board and make guesses as to the correct combination of elements to crack the case and win the game. In the board game, though, whenever you go into a room and make a guess, a player who has one of the elements in their hand of cards that they start out with that would contradict your guess uh, they will show you their card and that but i believe that that information stays between you and that player whereas in this game instead of showing you uh, contradictory evidence instead the game will um, link one of the elements that you guessed with another element which may or may not be one that you guessed you know so like if you guessed Colonel Mustard with the rope in the billiards room, the game might say, well, Colonel Mustard had the knife. Um, or in higher difficulties, it might say something like, Colonel Mustard did not have the knife. So the actual interrogations, which players are allowed to do up to twice per game, those act more like the actual guessing in the board game, where you'll uh, make an assumption saying, okay, it was this person with this in this room. And then at that point, one of the other characters, if there is a character with evidence to contradict that, will say, nope, it wasn't, you know, say like, it wasn't in the lounge because uh, I have proof. So at that point, you know, at the very least, the lounge wasn't where the murder took place. And it, at that point, if you've already linked or if everybody's already linked like the lounge to a particular weapon or character, you can eliminate that as well. But just like with the board game, you're allowed to actually guess once. And if you are wrong, then you're pretty much out of the game except for, you know, contradicting other players who are making guesses. Yeah, that's pretty much the game. And I, 
I don't know if I think this game works well as a video game. I I agree. I, I think right out of the gate, the game has a big problem with the way cards are distributed. Because obviously in the board game clue, everybody is distributed an equal amount of cards that are not the three main cards that are actually the solution to the game. So in order to look at your cards, if you're playing against other people, you would essentially have to ask everybody else to turn their head or close their eyes or whatever so that you can look at your cards. And then they'd also have to be trusting that you are not looking at someone else's cards during that. And, you know, and I feel like in video games, if you have to make the rule that like, okay, and at this point, everybody has to close their eyes. I feel like maybe you've done something wrong and you should go back to the drawing board and think of another way of doing that. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. Well, no, I mean, I I think it's a legit thing that this is an adaptation of a game that requires people to keep secrets from each other. That in the adaptation, uh, forces everybody to always be looking at the same screen in order to play the game. I just don't think it really works when... Because, yeah, like you said, this is not quite a straight adaptation of the board game because of those changes to the rules for how how information is revealed. But it probably would have done better to be an even less uh, straightforward adaptation of the game. Because, yeah, I agree. I just don't think that for this game in particular this works. It would partially the same reason why you can't really do like a good version of Battleship in a video game like this. Like what? Split screen Battleship. That's not going to work. Both people need to be able to see their own board, but not ever, not the other players. And yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. I I do also think that a drawback to playing this game specifically against the computer is that it's kind of hard to keep track of information. You know, I do wish that this game, especially given that it does have essentially like a one player mode would, would provide you with some sort of like an inventory or a checklist within the game itself that would like kind of scratch things off as, as more, you know, information is revealed, you know, pictures of the cards with X's over them for when they're kind of disproven as, as possible. Because the thing you do end up having to do with this is take notes, uh, like on like an actual physical piece of paper, which is fine. That can be good in a game, but it also does sort of defeat the purpose of this being a video game version of a board game if you still essentially have to do stuff outside of the game to be able to play it. I don't know. It's a weird one. I do like some of the production values here. Like, I think all of the various animations of the characters doing things and, like, the the potential, like, what-if scenarios that the game actually shows you are a lot of fun. I think there's some good embellishments there. But, yeah, I can't really get around the fact that, as, as it is, this sort of just doesn't work very well as a video game. I agree. Although, I, I will say one thing, going back to what you said about having to take notes, to be fair... Uh, I believe the game originally did come with like a, a notepad with, you know, a sort of grid on it, d- similar to the one that the board game would have come with. And that's cool. That's good. But I I, I guess what I'm saying is like, it, you know, it, it seems sort of like a flaw that it still had to do that. You know, I do think that since all of the players are being presented with most of the same evidence at the same time, in fact, all of the same evidence at the same time, save for your hand of cards that you start the game with. There really isn't a good reason why the game couldn't have just offloaded all of that logic to the game itself and kept track of like the information that was available to everybody on a grid like that. You know, and and this kind of illustrates my other big problem with the game is that 
in the board game of Clue, you know, like I said before, I believe like if another player has evidence to contradict your guess, that stays between you and the player. So like everybody knows, okay, that player's guess was wrong. That player knows something that disproves it, but they don't necessarily know which element it was. Everybody is always getting different information as the game goes on. And I think that makes it more interesting. Whereas in this game, everyone is given the same information And because of that, it kind of just comes down to, like, are you going to be the lucky one who happens to have the cards that help you figure it out faster than everybody else? Because everything else is just always the same for everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just isn't a great setup for a video game. do agree with you about you know the the sort of production values here i think the game does look very nice um i like the little digitized hand that rolls the dice i think that was a cute touch there's a lot that i like about this game and there's a lot that i like about clue in general but i think that like the board game itself is maybe one of the things i i don't like about clue to be honest because sculptured software who developed the game already seems to have had license to change things somewhat and i don't know if sculptured software was given free reign to change what they needed to or if parker brothers told them no you you can change this this and this and that's all but i i wish that however that worked out they were able to actually make a game that worked better on the super nintendo with the clue environment and characters and again given like just how broad clue has become as a as a brand i don't think it would be that hard to figure out how to make a clue like game that uh works better as a console game where everybody's looking at the same screen yeah i agree um yeah so i don't really have anything else to say about it but i i am very much in that same place with you on this game Given that, I guess it's time to go over to the list and see where we think this goes. So my my first inkling here is maybe a little bit obvious, but the chess master... I, I mean, I think that's a good place to start, but I definitely think it, I would put it a bit lower than the chess master. The chess master has a leg up in that the rules of chess translate just fine to a video game without any compromises. So even though the chess master is pretty lacking in like production values, which is something this game definitely has going for it, as as a game, it doesn't really go that well, uh, you know, in in this in this context. With chess master, at least there are some features where I could recommend playing that over just playing chess if those are your only two options where honestly i don't have any good reason to recommend the super nintendo version of clue over just playing the game clue and i mean if you're talking about playing against like the computer in both cases the chess master is perfectly okay to play against the computer but clue i i think is just like kind of a very tedious guessing game when you're playing against the computer in this we got world league soccer right below that at number 50 um, that's that's the bad soccer game. While that is a functional game, there's so little there that I don't know. I'm I'm really torn on this because I do think that obviously Clue is a more attractive looking game than World World League Soccer, but you know it, it also just doesn't really work much at all as a game. Here, here's where I'm thinking actually for this one between Super Ghouls and Ghosts at number fifty one and. Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank at 52 is a good place for it. I think that Ghouls and Ghosts is probably a better game than Clue, but I still just can't quite get over just the unpleasantness of Super Battle Tank and kind of what it means that that game exists. I I feel that, and I also think that, like, 
Super Battle Tank was another thing that where it just kind of didn't quite work for me. I'll say that it, as like as like a gameplay experience, it did not work for me. Yeah, no, no, me, me neither. So you know, like political garbage aside, I don't think it's a great game either. Well, I feel pretty good about that actually because I do think that Super Battle Tank and Clue are are games that I don't think really work very well as video games. I do think the aesthetics and kind of the production values of Clue are enormously more appealing than Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank. So I would be happy to put it above that. And I do agree that I think that Super Ghouls and Ghosts is a just a better game overall than Clue. All right, then. So it looks like we have a new 52 that's Clue. Woo! <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it kind of makes me sad putting it down there because I really do like Clue as a brand and, and as a franchise. Don't think that we're just like gleefully trashing these games. It does not make me happy that, that Clue is this low. But there it is. Yeah, there it is. All right. Well, I think we have one more game on tap for today. this title (laughs) it's called spanky's quest and spanky's a monkey because of course he is that's a choice the the american team that localized this game they were just having a bit of a laugh right of course yeah it boggles my mind that this actually made it to to stores as spanky's quest that somebody didn't just step in and be like okay guys come on come on let's nobody was watching that would have cared this just sort of was a low enough key game that it just slipped right by people. It must have been, because that's the only way I can think that this would have happened. Was Beavis and Butthead a thing by this point? I don't know. That's a good question. Because I feel like that is what really made that phrase common nomenclature. Definitely gave it a little bit more pop culture oomph than it had before. But uh, it was it was a phrase that existed before, I'm pretty sure. The Japanese title for this game, I believe, was Lucky Monkey, right? Something like that, yeah. I will say Spanky's Quest is a way more distinctive name than Lucky Monkey's. It probably did help get it noticed by a few more people. Yeah, I suppose. It's really funny, though, that this game has such a, like, edgy title because it is a very unedgy game like it's a very cute very uh friendly looking game so yeah it has this wordplay that i imagine only works in english and yet it's it's also a very japanese game oh very very yeah yeah so this one was uh made by developer publisher natsume um which has a very tangled history that i'm not even going to get into just yet because i didn't have enough time i'm sorry i'm sorry everybody okay (laughs) we'll get to natsume eventually they have in various forms released a lot of games most people are probably very familiar with the harvest moon series which they created which is still in a couple of different forms going today you play as the titular spanky so spanky seems to be walking through the woods one day and then a tower is built around him that's bad luck seems to be what the yeah that seems to be what happens uh 
hate it when that happens. Yeah, so now he has to escape the tower by going through a series of little puzzle rooms. So this is a puzzle platform game in which you have to collect keys to get to the next room. How many keys depends on the room or puzzle or whatever you want to call it. And occasionally he will need to dispatch enemies either to keep them from killing him or just to get a key from them. He, he does this in a very interesting way by shooting a bubble into the air and then bouncing it off his head to make the bubble grow bigger. At any time you can hit the attack button again, it will burst the bubble and cause a sport ball to fall out of it and possibly damage, kill enemies that uh, get in contact with it. However, the more you bounce the bubble off your head, the bigger it gets. And the bigger it is when you burst it, the more damaging the sport ball attack will be. So if you just burst it right away, a little baseball falls out of it and doesn't do much. Uh, If you burst it when it's uh, one level bigger, you'll get a cascade of soccer balls. If you do it one level after that, you get volleyballs that if they come in contact with an enemy, will start spinning around and possibly hitting more enemies. And then finally you get the biggest attack, which is just a cascade of basketballs that are practically filling the screen. Yep. Bring in the heat (laughs) Bring in the heat on all those little monsters. It's very strange. I think that's a fun system. I think that feels good and it doesn't really feel exactly like any other attack in a game I've I've experienced. It's it's definitely creative. The levels are small, but they do vary a little bit in size and layout. Like, sometimes they're more vertical. Sometimes you have to go kind of across the screen and then back across the other way. Sometimes the enemies are holding keys that you have to get from them by killing the enemies. Sometimes the keys are just in sort of a hard-to-reach place. So there's a lot of different, like, kind of variations within this main theme. Also, did we mention that all the enemies are various fruits and vegetables? We did not mention that, but that is true. That's important, probably. A lot of evil fruit and veg. I really liked the level in which you're fighting evil kiwis that look kind of like a cross between the kiwi fruit and the kiwi bird. Yeah, that's fun. I, I thought that was pretty clever. You know, this game is pretty fun. It's it's also pretty challenging. I found myself getting into spaces where I already knew I was going to lose a life because I knew I couldn't get one of my bubbles up in time to, to kill the enemy that was coming at me. So that wasn't always fun. That definitely happened to me as well. Yeah, for sure. Five worlds, 10 levels per world with a boss fight after level 10. If you game over, you go all the way back to the first level of the world that you were in, which means if you fought your way up to level, you know, say, 110 and then died, you've got to go all the way back to level one. That is rough. There is a password system in this that I think just gets you back to the first level in the kind of block of levels that you're you're doing. Is that correct? I, I believe so, yeah. Possibly a little bit unnecessarily brutal because it is kind of exhausting to redo a bunch of levels that you've already been through just to get back to the point that you, you failed at before. I feel like they could have broken this up into more worlds with fewer stages per world. I agree. That might have been better because the, the core gameplay here is fun, but the charm of it does get sapped when you are having to redo large swaths of the game over and over again. Yeah, I think I made it uh, as far as level 2-8 at one point and then got sent back to 2-1 and at that point I was just kind of like, eh, I'm kind of done. That is probably a, a, a fairly representative experience with this game. I could probably like go back to it later and you know the password system helps a little bit. I just don't know that I think it's quite good enough for me to want to put in that sort of effort with it, you know? Like I like it, but I don't like it that much. 
I, I think, you know, like, the game has a lot of personality to yeah, it. Yeah, I love the, the sprite work. Uh, the music is fun. It's got, a, it's got a really good overall aesthetic. Spanky himself has a lot of animations. You know, he gives a nice little fist pump, you know, whenever he clears the level. Uh, even the enemies actually do a little victory gesture whenever they manage to cost you a life, which is... Equal parts funny and infuriating. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the fact that, like, enemies can pick up keys, it seems. Like, if they come in contact with a key, they will just pick it up, which can kind of make the levels a little bit more dynamic because enemy movement patterns can vary. Some of them can pass between platforms. Others can't. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and it you know it, it makes for a very challenging but really charming puzzle game. You know, I, I think the challenge of the individual um, stages is fine. I just wish it weren't so punishing when you lose and have to go all the way back to the beginning of a world. There's already a password system here, so it just seems like there could be a password system for each individual level or, like, every five levels instead of every ten levels, you know? As it is, it just kind of feels like it's there to sort of artificially inflate the amount of time you have to spend playing the game in order to make progress and i'm not really a fan of that yeah yeah i think it's unfortunate because i think at 50 levels plus you know the boss fights it, it doesn't seem like it's a short game no there's a lot here it's got a lot going for it that i and i think ultimately it's pretty fun even if it is a little bit frustrating at times if you like puzzle platformers at all, this is definitely one that I would recommend checking out. For sure, yeah. So I'm looking at the list here, trying to figure out where I think this one should go. My first thought was that, like, maybe Krusty's Super Fun House is a good place to start. That's sort of what I was thinking of as well. But honestly, I think it goes up from here. Because I'm seeing a lot of other games up above it that I'm like, you know, I would rather play this than that. I I'm going. I'm looking, like, all the way up to something like Super Smash TV at 26, or even Draken at 24, and kind of feeling like, I think I like this game better than any of those. So I think that I probably had more actual fun playing this than I did with Draken. Yeah, I think I did too. Above Draken, we have Rival Turf. Yeah, which, you know, that's an interesting one because I think we really liked it, but I think some of our fondness of that game comes about somewhat ironically. I think this one I'm, I could recommend a little bit more earnestly and honestly than Rival Turf. No, it's, it's a lot more mechanically solid and it has like an actual aesthetic. It, it isn't just like a thing where I feel like they maybe kind of messed up on some things and ended up making a fun aesthetic accidentally. Well, okay, above Rival Turf, we've got our our soccer duo, Super Soccer and Super Soccer Champ. This is kind of a tough comparison, and I'm almost wondering if I want to jump up the list a little bit just so that I've got something a little bit more analogous to compare this to vastly different types of games i'm almost looking at like joe and mac at number 19 like how do you feel about that matchup i think that's a pretty good matchup honestly one thing we talked about with joe and mac is that joe and mac is a little bit janky and this game i don't think is really yeah i think joe and mac is playable but i don't think it's nearly as, as solid and sound a game as spanky's quest is spanky's quest just feels really well put together yeah it does and i think that it helps that spanky's quest has a pretty unique attack mechanic that is fun to use i would go up from joe and mac so what do you think about the matchup of this and the Adams Family at 17? That one's tough because I think the Adams Family is pretty mechanically sound, but I think its level design is lacking in a way that I don't think Spanky's Quest is. But but I did really like Adams Family. Like it's a game that really made me want to poke around and, and find like all the little hidden things because they were just everywhere. Yeah, this is, this one's kind of tough for me. What do you think? It's also tough for me because I feel like the Adams Family, the structure of that game is one that I'm a little more personally drawn to than Spanky's Quest. But I actually 
think maybe Spanky's Quest, like the actual moment-to-moment play of it is more fun. And I think it's more fair in its way than the Addams Family could be sometimes. Like, I, I never got to a point in Spanky's Quest where it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Whereas that definitely happened to me in the Addams Family. But on the other hand, you know, Spanky's Quest does have the sort of unfairness in its, you know, like sending you back, you know, up to 10 levels for failing. On balance, I think these are these are kind of evenly matched in different ways. I don't know. I think probably on balance, I may actually still have to give it to Spanky's Quest. With the Addams Family, I did sometimes feel like I was just like banging my head against a wall. Uh, and not just in the like, not knowing where to go or what to do thing, just in like, this is a very unforgiving set of of rooms in this platform game where I'm just dying over and over again. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I'm with you there. Um, do we think that's as high as it goes, or because we got East? Yeah, I think I think I would still probably put East three above this. I think it's just got more going on. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it goes higher? It's it's kind of close for me. Maybe Spanky's Quest has a little bit more content to it. But I, I'm okay with leaving Spanky's Quest below East 3 because I, I did think the story was all right. What they did with, you know, kind of taking the East formula and, and making it into a side-scrolling platformer worked pretty well. Yeah, that's just kind of what my gut is saying. So, so I'm going to listen to it. I, I am fine with that. All right, so it sounds like uh, Spanky's Quest is going to be our new number 17. All right, Spanky's Quest. Terrible title quite good game you know this was an interesting one you know i don't think i was terribly impressed with any of these going into this but i think that there's something i can say good about almost every single thing we played today yeah i agree i'm you know this is definitely one where our conversations about them kind of helped me develop my own feelings about the games in a way that was really helpful so i'm I'm very glad about that doing this show helps me experience games that i almost certainly wouldn't have played otherwise i don't think i ever would have played something like spanky's quest no probably me either yeah it's like hey, you know what? This is pretty good. It's a top 20 game now. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for today. Do we want to talk about what we're going to be doing next time? Yeah, let's do it. We got at least one kind of heavy hitter next time. It is Street Fighter 2. We're going to talk about Street Fighter 2 next week. Street Fighter 2. And then uh, after that, we'll be going into August with Magic Sword. Magic Sword. Kablooey, a game I do not think I've heard of. I'm not familiar with that one. And then we've got Strike Gunner STG. Which I'm sure we're gonna love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not judging that one based on the name. We actually have some experience with that one. Well, all right, folks. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate you guys uh, listening. Like I just said, I don't even know why I said that again. I don't know what else I thought I had there. Anyway, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, you know what? Here, Natsume, I'm going to help you out. Here's, some, here's, here's a name you could have used for your monkey character that I, I really like for a monkey. Captain Nanners. That's good. I like that. We should trademark that. Yep. Captain Nanner's Quest. Yeah, we yeah. should. We should, actually, before someone steals that. You know what? Natsume, never mind. We're keeping that. We're keeping that, that one, yeah. Um, That's ours.